In today's episode, we talk to Udi Lettergore, VP Marketing at Gong.io. Udi shares insights about why branding is not a luxury, but a necessity. Udi also shares why talking to your audience is key, the secret to content marketing that moves the needle, and the secret to how they made LinkedIn work for them. Just a spoiler, there's no ads involved. to Strike Gold with Jonathan Kahn and Roy Provarchik. And today we have a special guest, Udi Lettergore. Udi Lettergore is the VP Marketing at Gong.io. Udi? Hi, glad to be here. <laughs> How are you, first of all? I'm doing very well. It's a beautiful sunny morning in San Francisco. We had a wonderful weekend. Can't, can't wait to get another productive work week in front of us. That's the most cheerful way to start the week that I've heard in a while. Really, I just think like, oh, I'm going on vacation would be like the way to end that sentence. But that's just me, I guess. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm excited. It's I love, sunny I and love beautiful. Look, look any, any parent can appreciate this. When you come back yeah. after a long weekend with your kids, you go back to work to relax. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, we, that is right. My favorite part about that is when people come up to you when you come back and they go, how how was, how is the vacation? The vacation starts now. Yeah. <laughs> now. A hundred percent. Like this is the easy part. Like getting leads – Building a company, that's easy. The weekend, that's... I could do that all day. Yeah, yeah. the weekend, that's where things get from, right? Like, no, no, no marketing agency can solve that. <laughs> um, so, Udi, uh, for the people who don't know you, uh, first of all, shame on you. Second... Uh, <laughs> Seriously, I, sh- I, sh- I shouldn't have considered a career in marketing. <laughs> <laughs> um Second is, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You've been uh, doing this for quite a while with a few interesting and amazing successes behind you. Uh, That's the nicest way I've heard of anyone calling me old. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Experience, do you mean? Experience. 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 I I love when they compare executives to stakes by calling them seasoned 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 professionals. professionals. (laughs) You should only season your stakes, not not your executive. (laughs) Um, so, so I guess I would be, I would fall into that category of seasoned, uh, if I were steak, um, I'm currently at IO, um, the leading conversation intelligence platform for sales teams. Uh, this is my fifth gig as a VP marketing. Uh, so I've been doing this for good part of the last, uh, 15 years. Prior to that, I had uh, five years experience as a product manager, which uh, really helped me understand the, the relationship between engineering and product and market. And that's that's when I decided that I prefer focusing on the people part and, and simplifying and explaining and communicating the product part to them. But but my experience as a product manager is definitely instrumental in, in everything that we do today. Um, I've had the privilege of working with some amazing teams um, mostly based out of Israel. Uh, That's where I was born and raised. Um, About three years ago, I started working for Gong as VP Marketing in the Israel office. And exactly one year ago, I relocated here to San Francisco. It's this week, literally. It's one year since I relocated. Seems like just a couple of weeks have passed, but uh, it's been a crazy ride. Um, Other than that, uh, between my fourth and fifth VP marketing gigs, I uh, did a couple of years of consulting. So I helped uh, 20 plus Israeli startups uh, either build or shift their marketing organizations. That was a really interesting period for me just to be able to to see that lateral view of how things are being done in different companies and sort of uh, inspired me to figure out what things could work in common. Uh, there are not as many as people would hope, but uh, but some are. Um, at that time, uh, I remember there was a week that uh, three different customers asked me pretty much the same questions about their next trade shows and how they should prepare. And that uh, inspired me to, to just sit down and write a book about it. So I did. I, I wrote the, the 50 Secrets of Trade Show Success. I published it on Amazon. And on the day it was published, it was the number one downloaded book in the industrial marketing category. So that was a fun experience. Um, as well, and uh, yeah, I think I'm going to shut up now for your next question. Well, I, I wow, I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm impressed. yeah, that this is why Jonathan uh, was rushing through the introduction of the episode at the beginning. <laughs> uh, so, uh, okay, so this is you, but now today, basically, we're here to talk about some of the excellent work Gong has been doing and some uh, really interesting case studies you have, and you have several from different angles. 
interesting success story within Gong. But can you uh, please expand a little bit on what Gong does? Sure. So Gong helps sales leaders succeed by understanding their conversations with customers. And, and this helps our customers achieve revenue success, which we define as being divided into three pillars. So you have people success, deal success, and strategy success, and, and we can help with each and every one of them. When we talk about people success, we're talking about your salespeople's skill development, how to make sure that every call is better than their last, how to improve their sales skills. And one easy way of doing that is by having uh, Gong's artificial intelligence analyze all of your team sales calls, look for patterns that are allowing your best players to win more deals with, and then sharing that in a personalized coaching recommendation with everyone else on the team. So here's an example, Roy. What if uh, uh, you just finished a sales call and you got an email from Gong saying, Roy, that was a great call, but notice that you were speaking 76% of the time on that call and that you opened with your software features. Uh, Mary on your team, according to your CRM, is selling a lot more than you are, and she only speaks 46% of the time on her calls, and she usually opens with the hardware features. So you might want to try that on your next call. So you can see how getting the series of, of snippets with insights and personalized coaching recommendations could easily improve any salesperson. We're not going to make the worst salesperson in the team the best salesperson, but if we can shift the C players to become B players and the B players to become B+, that's where most of most sales teams revenue lies. So uh, that's how we help people success. Uh, we also help with deal success, which is uh, ensuring that you know what's happening in your current pipeline and that you're taking the next appropriate action. So uh, using uh, parts of our product, uh, you can see which opportunities have been neglected for too long, where a next step was followed, and, sorry, where a next step was promised but not followed up on. For example, uh, we can tell you, hey, Roy, uh, remember that call you had with uh, John from Acme yesterday? You promised in that call to send him a customer reference today, but I see you haven't done that yet. Uh, would you like to do that now or, or can Gong help with that? So that's, that's the next stage that we're going to. Um, and finally, strategy success. This is more for the sales leaders, the CROs, the VPs of sales. We're helping them go to market with sales motions like rolling out a new product or new messaging or new pricing sheet. And we can tell them in real time who's using that, who's doing it well, who's not, and how the market is responding. So uh, it's, it's pretty exciting stuff for sales leaders. They're now using this at their management meetings, at their board meetings, because we can see which competitors are coming up more often than others, uh, which of their salespeople is really offering that three-year deal that they were supposed to do. And you don't have to wait six months now to see what the result is, because that's a, that's a lagging indicator. You can now use uh, the, the insights you get from Gong as a leading indicator to see what's really happening almost in real time. Wow. Oh, so, you know, we actually, we, ex we spoke to with Yanko and the, from, um, what's the name? Mm -hmm. A trail, a trail, right? And they were, he was talking about you guys a little bit. And at that point I already did a little bit of research, but now hearing you say all the things that you said, I'm actually thinking how many marriages you could end up saving <laughs> if you create a small micro. <laughs> like, I would love to know how to make a better pitch for my wife to say, Hey, I would like to go out to this restaurant. You know, like even you might even be able to solve the biggest issue of all time, which is you know, where do you want to eat or where should we order from? That's insane. So it's, funny, it's, fun, it's funny that your mind goes there. Uh, uh, a few other great minds went there when we were trying to think uh, a couple of months ago of our April's Fool's Prank. We oh, God, dream, that's a dream. We, 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 a dream. We, get, we get a little more elaborate every year. This year, uh, we actually bought the domain StopSwiping.io and we created a uh, newscast uh, broadcast an entire blog post and charts and everything around a new dating app that's based on AI. And we we, we wrote such a great article uh, that my team put together. Uh, you can find it on my LinkedIn profile. I think it's the last article there. Um, it's a it's a great article that explains uh, what we found by analyzing like a million first dates. And we came up with borderline crazy things like the adverse effect of talking about your cat. It, it turns out that if you talk about your cat, you're like 40% less likely to get a second date for these reasons. And this is how people react to these things. And people took it so seriously that a lot of them actually missed that this was a prank because it just made so much sense to them. Um, 
If you did go through the entire thing and, and there were calls to action to actually download the app, when you went there, at that point, we, we let you in on the joke and offered some some cool special edition gong swag that we created uh, for that campaign. But it's amazing how many people just got stuck in the part where they still thought that was totally serious and that we were using our, our latest funding for, for a dating app. So you're not the first to think of this. It's 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 a great uh, way of thinking about well, the I'm power. I'm still keeping my I just, I just think that it's amazing. If, if by the end of the conversation, you get an email from somebody saying, Hey, Yudi, just want to thank you. I've met my uh, my partner <laughs> using your tips. I was I was trying to find. I was I was dating for three years, never got a second date. I read your and, article. Avoided talking about my cast for the first time. That's what did the trick. Right. I actually I actually think this is a good tip in general. <laughs> it probably is. It probably yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's actually quite. Yeah, solid. but I think I could have told you without the data that you could just you know that's a way to kill it. Yeah, uh, but you know, the, the, in all seriousness, though, uh, one of the things that we've been doing um, very successfully here at Gong is taking stuff that people have been debating for generations around sales, and and many people have the intuition to understand what's going to work and what what doesn't. But when you see the data backing up, or diffusing what you thought, it makes a huge difference. And you can proceed right. with a lot more confidence in your own sales calls, in training your team, in building your strategy, once you have the data that shows you what actually works and what doesn't. Because a lot of the sales profession is built about around playbooks that were created 30 years ago at companies like Xerox. You know, they were very famous for, for their sales academy, and they built the 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 playbooks there and then generations of salespeople walking around uh, sweating in a suit holding a bag with their playbook from Xerox they came to other companies and they pretty much tried to copy and paste those playbooks now a lot of that stuff still works now that we validated it with data we know but a lot of it doesn't or is is specific on situations and and now for the first time we're, we're providing all this data to the world so they can really adapt a, a modern day sales playbook right um, first of all I think yeah I think that it's very interesting because there's basically so many things that you have to connect because there's a conversation, there's context, uh, there's tone of voice, there's so many, so many things that are going on at the same time. Uh, and being able to shine a little light on, on like the things you can control is very, very interesting. Uh, and I think it's a very, very powerful tool for a lot of teams. But I was actually, you know, from a marketing perspective, um, what I found was really interesting was this. I've known you and and Gong for I think almost from the start right yep. almost and I remember like the messaging and and the way you would craft the story was very very different I mean there's a lot of complex interesting technology behind what Gong does which allows it to do the work that it does right and one of the things that I've noticed with your pitch right now is that you literally did not go to the technical root in any way you did not try to impress with buzzwords you did not add any kind of complex kind of oh my god how are they doing this magic you basically was you were able to really really show the benefits and the uniqueness of gong without going into all the technical explanation a lot or most b2b companies are using their technical jargon so much so they can kind of say, hey, we're important, we're interesting, uh, we're expensive, blah, blah, blah. And they're missing out on creating a really, really good message, which drives me into thinking about your entire branding because Gong has went through a massive rebrand. Um, and, and I think it's a very, very interesting branding position and an interesting process you did. So I would love it if you can talk a little bit more about it. Sure. Uh, happy to address uh, both those things in, in the order that you did. Um, I think, you know, around the way we tell the story of Gong today, to, to us, it's second nature. But but I agree that there there that is a challenge with many, many companies. Uh, I think especially coming from Israel, I can speak on, on, on behalf of my fellow Israelis. We, we usually lead a company with a product and a technology. And it's really hard to get out of the position of talking about how wonderful the product is and how groundbreaking the technology is. Um, most customers in reality don't care. They absolutely don't care. Uh, if there are easier ways of solving their problems, that's what they want to know about. They rarely care what goes on behind the scenes, what the nuts and bolts or bits and bytes are doing there uh, to make it happen. And if there are several ways of getting that done, they'll choose the one that, that makes most sense and is most easiest for them to use. They don't need the best, whatever, transcription engine. They don't need the fastest network adapter. They need something that will give them the biggest benefit in, in, in the easiest way possible. And um, 
I think that's one of the things that sets apart uh, Gong, our CEO, Amit Bendov. He uh, was a CEO of SciSense, a, a very successful uh, BI company before uh, starting Gong. And uh, when, when people ask him how he thought of the idea for Gong, he, he starts from the business side story. He said Gong was born uh, in a quarter from hell, um, which usually gets a few laughs. And then he explains that uh, they had a quarter at SciSense that things were not going as planned. And he, as a CEO, could not understand why. And uh, what usually happens is, uh, and, and, and I'm sure everyone here has, has been in the situation, uh, sales blame marketing for not bringing enough leads. Marketing blames sales for getting all the leads they could hope for, but not knowing how to sell to them. And, and then start the, the discussions about, well, is this really a qualified opportunity? Should we really be talking to this person? And the only way until recently to, to find out what's really going on in your sales and marketing conversations was listening to the raw calls. And so Amit, uh, who loves to be in the weeds of the details, um, started listening to calls. But after like three, four, five 45-minute sales calls, you're done. No one can sit and listen to like 200 calls to start understanding, are there patterns there of what's making a good sales conversation or a bad sales conversation? And that's when, I mean, got to thinking, well, there must be a better way. And fast forward, that that's how Gong was born. And so I think from day one, we were used to talking about our product, not in the sense of how amazing the technology is, and, and trust me, it is but about the value of the business problem that we're solving. It is a huge business problem affecting millions of salespeople in the world, and we're out to solve that problem. On the way, we also get to make like really cool technology, but that's really not the interesting story here. So, so that, I think, addresses the fir first part of, of the storytelling aspect that you talked about. Um, our branding process was, was a very fun and interesting process. It's probably worth uh, highlighting a few points. First... Um, I think it was literally during my first month at Gong, and, and I was a, a very early stage employee at Gong. Amit called me when they were like 15 employees, uh, no salespeople, no marketers, just uh, an R&D group. Um, and they had just rolled out the product to beta. They had uh, 12 beta customers. This was uh, three years ago in early 2016. And uh, Amit had promised the board of directors that uh, three of those 12 would probably turn into paying customers by the end of the year. Uh, he called me in July to say that 11 of the 12 had already turned into paying customers and that the 12th is, is on its way. And they eventually did become a bank customer. And that's why he wants to start marketing a bit early. Uh, that's when I uh, showed up. And literally in the first month, we had already had a meeting with uh, Atreo, the agency who eventually did our um our branding project. They did it much later, though. It took us, uh, took us a couple of years to get, uh, or a year and a half, to to actually get to that project. Uh, and I, I can explain why too. But um, my point here is that even if you consider the early stage that we did our branding process, it still seems early for a lot of customer for a lot of companies who you know are just after an A round and they're not sure they should use a significant amount of money on branding their company. And why is that important? I'm still working on getting customers. I'll worry about branding later and make things pretty later. Uh, and it's my experience and Amit's experience that uh, that's not really the best way of going about it. And many B2B brands could probably benefit from a very early branding process where you really figure out what the story you're telling is and then roll out that story into words and visuals that tell that story in the best way to your customers. That will actually expedite your demand gen and not take away resources from it like most people think about it maybe counterintuitively because, yeah, if, if a good branding project today, they don't come cheap, right? Uh, they, they probably cost a couple of hundred thousand dollars. Um, I could be using that money for Google AdWords or, or Facebook ads. I could, but I actually feel that they're better used for, for the branding project that we did of, of helping us tell our story in a compelling way that everything else that we do later is just going to be so much more effective. Because every Google AdWords and every Facebook ad or every uh, LinkedIn article that we write is now consistently on brand, part of telling the same story over and over again. And so the, the efficiency and the effectiveness of all of those campaigns is, I don't know, tenfold what they probably would have been without going through that branding project. So, so that's my, my lesson on, on when to consider branding. And, and I realize, you know, not everyone can pull off a, an expensive project uh, after a seed round, and that, that's okay. But it, it's at least something you should be thinking about as early as you can possibly uh, afford to. Okay. So why would you recommend to a company that doesn't have that amount of money? Uh, because Atreo is, again, a, a really wonderful branding agency. They are. Uh, they, they do an amazing work. They're very in-depth. They're very smart. 
but they are quite costly. So let's say if you look like I'm guessing the average seed round for most company goes up to, let's say, $200,000, $500,000 seed round, right? I think that, that I think would numbers be are higher these days, but uh, but but you might be right. I don't have the exact numbers on me. Okay, so let, let's let's even pick it up up to a million, right? Like as a seed round, not round A, but like let's say one million dollars. Um, you're saying that a hundred percent, you should be considering on finding a process like that, or or something to to focus your story uh, very early on in your marketing days of your company. Yes, but let, let me let me qualify a little bit. Um, I, I wasn't suggesting that someone raises uh, $1 million, you go spend uh, half of that or even a quarter of that on, on branding. That, that would probably be irresponsible. We, we did our uh, branding project after round A. We were, cons- we were planning for it even after our seed round, which was also a, a, a relatively large seed round, uh, but we actually executed on it uh, after our round A. I think you need to match your marketing strategy to the current growth phase that you're in and what really is the problem that you're trying to solve. I'll give you an example. Um, probably every week uh, I, I meet with some CMO visiting in, in SF from, from an Israeli startup, and I'm, I'm usually happy to, to give uh, the little time that I have uh, to, to help other companies by just walking around, having coffee and, and hearing about their challenges and, and seeing if I can offer any advice. And um, uh, recently I met one of them and um, he said, uh, look, we're just getting started. You know, we have almost nothing in, in marketing and I want to build a, a strong inbound machine like gongs and tell me about how you optimize your uh, inbound flow. And I, I sort of looked at him and said, is, is that really your problem right now, optimizing your inbound flow? What, what is your inbound flow? It's, it's basically close to zero right now. So I said, there's nothing to optimize. Or why would you waste like money and, and resources optimizing an inbound flow? He said, okay, so what do you think I should do? Um, and I'm I said, well, if I were you, I would focus solely on outbound right now. That's what I did in the early days of Gong. We, we started, like most companies, with zero inbound because nobody knows your brand. You don't have any customers. Why would anyone ask for a demo or, or buy your product or do whatever you're trying to do on your website? Uh, start with strong outbound. Uh, it's almost like... Um, you know how marketers uh, love saying that uh, they, they use Google AdWords to confirm a lot of their SEO assumptions and seeing like what uh, keywords and things will actually uh, work for SEO. So that I, I think about outbound and inbound in, in a similar way. Uh, do a lot of outbound expensively, inefficiently in the beginning. You'll quickly understand what's working and not working, and you'll be able to correct that much faster and cheaper than if you started an inbound motion that would take you a long time to figure out what's working and not, and you'd never be quite sure. So by doing outbound, I'm talking about actually picking up the phone, pitching your product to someone. They'll slam the phone down the first 20 times. The 21st time, they might actually stay for 30 seconds and then tell you why they don't think it's relevant. You go back, you improve your pitch, you get on the phone again. Now, one in every five is taking your call. And that's how you quickly improve your pitch and understand what people want to hear from you about. Now that you have that story, go build an inbound machine that tells that story. But it would be much more expensive and take you a much longer time if you tried to do that directly in inbound. I love that you're saying this because we had uh, another episode in this season. We were talking to Oliver from Headliner App, Mm -hmm. uh, which is basically a visualization tool for podcasters. Uh, it basically helps you create your, your marketing materials for podcasters. And we were talking about with them about reaching product market fit. Now, they have amazing numbers for where they are. They're, they're, they're a very small team, bootstrapped, uh, and they have amazing numbers of users and retention, et cetera. And basically, the entire conversation was around talk to your clients and your users as much as possible. You would learn faster. You would be, be able to be more accurate to the right things. And this is kind of the same approach for the beginning, like call people, get feedback. Only then you can really understand your story and who you are. Absolutely. Uh, I I can add one short story to that. Uh, My first hire on the team was uh, our senior director of product marketing, Chris Orlob, and uh, he joined us just a couple of months after I did. And the first thing he did is he scheduled 40 buyer persona calls. We had a a really small number of customers at that point, probably had like a dozen. So he called each and every one of them, asked to speak to their sales leader, to their sales enablement person, to their sales ops person, and to one of their closing reps to understand what their daily challenges look like, 
the infamous what's keeping you up at night, how they're seeing value in Gong, what they like about it, what they would like to see coming up in the next versions. And that's how we started understanding the market we're in. And, and within like two to three months, we had 40 interviews transcribed by Gong, of course, uh, and we could pull uh, action items from that and see, okay, this is how customers describe their problems. This is how we should be describing their problems. It's, it's so common to see um, marketing programs that describe their customers' problems in different words than their customers would use, and then the customers just don't get it. They don't understand that this is for them. You, you need to be using your customers' words, and if you don't know what they are, go ask them. Right. Amazing. So, you know what, I'm following up on that, because Chris, I think one of the things that, that he brought with him to your team was he had a lot of background in sales marketing content, and right? And like he was really high profile as a sales influencer. Uh, it's not exactly true. He had some... Okay. Uh, he had some experience uh, during his sales days at InsideSales.com. He was never a marketer per se. Um, the, the reason that we uh, hired him for Gong was that he had founded a small company in our space called Conversature together with his co-founder. And when they ran out of funding, we identified the, the opportunity to, to grab him. And we did. Uh, and it was, mm -hmm. it was one of the best moves we made. And uh, Amit and I actually trained... Chris into becoming the the prolific content marketer and and writer that he is today. Um, since uh, we're not airing this uh, podcast live, I can say that tomorrow is is Chris's last day on our marketing team. He's uh, he is staying at Gong. He's moving on to a new role after almost three three years in his current role. He's moving on to a, a new challenge in the revenue team. But he's definitely created a huge impact um, in marketing, and and that's something that he, he created, including most of his following, was created during his time here at Gong. Okay, so yeah, he like he was writing most of the content, correct, or still it is, or right. So, can you walk us a little bit through that? Because I know Gong is very strong with content marketing, uh, and I know you've done a lot of things and have a lot of insights that are either a little bit counterintuitive or just stuff that most uh, companies are missing out on, or in terms of insights and doing the right things. So, I would love to get some like more information from you on your content marketing. Sure. Happy happy to talk about that. Um, I, I think a good story to, to get in the mood here is, is really my first day at Gong. Uh, this was August 1st, 2016, uh, literally this week, three years ago. Uh, I came in in the morning. Um, I asked Amit, what, what, what's the number one thing you need me to do? He said, get me more leads to talk to so I can sell them Gong. I said, okay, I can do that. And uh, being a content marketer in my blood, um, I asked Amit, uh, give, me, give me your best piece of content I can use. He said, what content? I don't have any content. I said, okay, have you recently given a presentation about Gong? He said, yeah, I have a slide deck. Here, take this. Uh, it was a slide deck that talked about what Gong had found analyzing 20,000 calls of customers that we had uh, recorded. And there were some really interesting insights there, like what's the ideal talk time to get the next meeting and how many questions you should be asking and when to shut up and, and just like five interesting stats. I took that slide deck, I cut out a few slides, cut out most of the text to keep it mo mostly images and saved the PowerPoint as a PDF. Uh, by, I think it was 11 a.m., I had my first ebook at Gong. That was literally my first piece of content created at, uh, at Gong. I, I gave it a... a nice title like the the five secrets of uh, the perfect pitch or something like that and that was my ebook um and and i want to pause there and explain because what i understood from that presentation and and that's what has been guiding us in the last three years here in our content marketing strategy is that no one wants to read five tips on something that i could google easily myself People want to read exclusive content that they cannot get elsewhere that is solving a real life problem for them and we immediately recognized that these insights from our own customer conversations could shed light on these age-old problems of what really works and doesn't work in sales. And by just sharing these stories with our prospects, we could quickly position Gong as an authority on sales. And from there, the, the, the road to getting them to request a demo and actually using Gong is, is much easier and shorter. And so we literally figured that out on my day one. Uh, the rest of my day, if you're wondering, uh, was spent that day on quickly downloading an email automation system, quickly downloading and installing a landing page builder, building my first landing page, setting up an email campaign. And by, I think, 5 or 6 p.m. that day, which was just 
the morning hours in the U.S. Sending out my first email campaign with that ebook. That that that's how I spent my first day at uh, at Gong. What were your leads? Like, what what leads did you send it to? Uh, so I was I was. Uh, you mean what what list I actually had in my uh, email? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Well, this was three years ago. Who remembers? Uh, we had uh, we had a database at that time. We were using. Um, a database called uh, Unomi that have since been acquired by WeWork. They were an Israeli startup. Um, Gal was their uh, CEO. He's uh, now with uh, with WeWork in New York. Um, I think their database was one of the databases we were using. Um, what we were doing is quickly trying to understand, okay, who should we be selling to? And at that, at that time, we didn't even have lots of clarity between should these be sales leaders or sales ops or sales enablement or other buyer personas that if you're selling to sales, you do need to understand the differences. Uh, I won't bore all of your listeners with, with that right now. Um, and we basically took an account-based marketing approach that said, okay, we think we can sell to this industry in this country in this size organization, and these are the buyer personas that we're contemplating uh, between. And we use databases like you know me, like Discover.org, like Clearbit, like ZoomInfo to put together lists of those accounts and lists of those contacts. We use tools like LinkedIn Sales Navigator to get more details on the contacts and make sure that they're still in position. Um, and, and that's what we use for, for our initial campaigns. And you just basically send out an email to all these people uh, straight away? Like, did you, like, uh, you just basically had the, had the list and you send an email, the Correct. first email saying, hey, I have this ebook. Uh, yeah, it's, it starts with something like, uh, hey, John, uh, given your position as a sales leader, I thought you'd love to know these five secrets of sales pitching that can really improve how your team closes deals. Tell me what you think. Right. Give or take, that's a um, paraphrase. That's a crazy first day. Oh, that's yeah. a crazy first day. Like, you do know that you set yourself up to fail on the second day. Like, if you went to lunch on the second day, you kind of, yeah. like, <laughs> gave yourself a bad name Seriously. at that point. Oh, like, I'm going to conquer the world. It's like what God did on the seventh day. Everyone was like, oh, now what is he going to do? And he just sat there. He was like, I don't know. I'm just going to rest, I guess. I can tell you that the pace of crazy is going only got worse since I joined, so, or better, depending on how you look at it. Uh, so it's that crazy pace every single day. We come up with stupid ideas in the morning, and, and by the end of the day, we know if they were really stupid or not because we just tried them out. I I I'm wow. actually kind of I kind of want to ask what's the was the conversion or results from that uh, first campaign, but I I'm not sure that it, one if you can disclose yeah well, just because he remembers the exact date of when he I started don't know. I don't know. when things happened doesn't mean he remembers what he wore that day you, you can okay. actually see, you can I actually see what know. I wore that day because Amit posted a selfie of me <laughs> and him on Facebook so that, that shirt is is forever memorized on uh, on Facebook. Um, <laughs> I think you're gonna say. Actually, I can see it with my, um, you know, my uh, what's it called? My yeah. memory. Uh, so I, I, I don't remember, point, unfortunately, so. the exact yeah. numbers. I, I will tell you that we got very encouraging results, including people just responding back. Uh, I think it went out in my name. We didn't have any fun, fancy aliases or anything. I just sent it out in my name, and people responded back saying, "Hey, this is super useful, and and we'd love to, to see more of it." And at that point, when when people are asking for more of your content marketing, you know that you're onto something. And this this is not something new to me. This is something that we've built at at companies like Panaya before and at other companies I've, I've had the privilege of helping. If you build content marketing that people start complaining when they don't receive it, you know that you're onto something, okay? Right, right, 100%. So, so that basically guide you later on on building your content. You're, you're, basically, most of your content is, uh, is built out of data that you have from your... Yes, uh, we, we have a team of data long, scientists basically. that rummage through our customer conversations. There are now well over 10 million of them. And excuse me, they look for interesting patterns, which they then present to our content team. And we'll say, yes, this would make an interesting story. We get some raw numbers and charts. And then our content team crafts that into a beautiful story um, that is very accessible to people. And it's always about how we're helping you, Mr. Salesperson or sales leader, and not about the product. This is this is one thing that I think people get wrong so often, which is they confuse content marketing with product marketing. Uh, it's it's like really one of my pet peeves that I see marketers getting wrong, even in our space. I'm not going to mention any names, um, but you see 
companies starting a piece of content with like, okay, this is something the industry will be interested interested in, and they they actually do a good job in the first two paragraphs talking about some phenomena they found or something that that is data backed, and then by the third paragraph they're already talking about how their product is wonderful at helping you do something. Folks, that is not content marketing. That is mm. product marketing, and not very good product marketing at that. Yeah. And yeah, and and that's I just think it's about discipline. It's, it's if you want to have like world-class content marketing, you have to have that discipline of not talking about your product. It's really not about your product. You have to genuinely want to provide valuable content. And uh, again, you know, being Israeli, we, we're known for being uh, cynical and, and, and I can imagine faces of people when I talk to them about that, they're like, you know, half winking. Yeah, yeah, I need to write content that at least the title is like how to whatever, make a million bucks in five days or something that people will find useful. And by the second paragraph, I can actually talk about my product, right? Wrong. You can't. That's not content marketing. That's really not how it's done. Um, can I, can I ask what the data scientists are actually showing to the content? Like, what are they, how are they? Okay. So I constantly have this thing where I'm interested in hearing, I think the best companies are the ones where people who look at data are able to talk in human words to people who create content. Yep. So like, I'm wondering what is it that they're like, are they just sending them an Excel and they're figuring out on their own and you have the most amazing content? Or is it- yeah. The data science language is absolutely Excel. They, they send Chris or now Devin or me at the time, uh, an ugly Excel sheet with uh, a few numbers and a few charts and a few comments of, of usually they, they know that we don't like geek out as much as they do on the numbers. So they have to explain some of them to us. So they'll show us things like, uh, okay, we found that if you don't shut up for a full half a second after your customer stops talking, that will reduce the likelihood of the next meeting by 24%. Do you think that's an interesting story? And we're like, yes, I think we can make this into a story. And then we, we, we take a few. We usually try to use like three to six data points in each of our stories because beyond that, we think it's just wasting too much ammunition on one shot. We prefer splitting it up to several stories, and, and but you also want them to have enough meat in them. So we take a few of those data points that are related to each other, and we'll create a beautiful story about it. So if, if you if you go to gong.io slash blog, you'll see that many of our stories focus around a theme like how to ace your demo call, how to run a successful discovery call. Um, how to ask the right questions. Uh, so we, we pick a topic and then we take like three, four, five data points around that topic and we explain what many times is the myth of what seems to be working and what isn't and what the data tells us is really working or isn't working. So that that is really the process. Amazing. And what's your distribution strategy? Like you create a really good piece of content. How do you distribute it to get to your audience? Good question. Um, so, and here I, I have to add a disclaimer because uh, it's one of the common questions that I get asked by, by people. And I want to make sure that they understand that what works for Gong right now will not necessarily work for your company right now or ever. Um, different things have worked for me at different companies. Um, and, and you really have to, to do the research. If, if I knew the answer on day one, uh, we'd all be a lot richer. It's, it doesn't work that way. You have to do a lot of experimentation. I'm pretty sure you knew the answer on day one, but I, the <laughs> average person, I get what you're I knew, saying. I knew the like... partial answer. I can tell you, look, I, I'll, I'll be honest. The, the only reason I've, I've had a few successes under my belt is because I've had like 10 times as many failures. I, I, that's absolutely the honest truth. I've tried paid advertising on like 10 different channels. I've failed miserably at almost each and every one of them. I've done events that I shouldn't have. I've, I've done so many things that just don't work. But because uh, both my CEO and I create this environment that encourages our team members to experiment with these things, understanding that it's the only way for a marketing team to move quickly by experimenting quickly, failing quickly, understanding what doesn't work, kill it, and then use the money for your next experiment until you find something that works. And then you scale that for as long as it works. But you know that that's going to stop working in like six to 12 months anyway. So you better start working on your next experiments as well. That's really the process of finding our channels, of finding our content, of, of finding everything that, that works in marketing. But now to go back to your question, Roy. Um, I would say that the three most successful channels that Gong has right now um, are one, organic LinkedIn, and I'm happy to dive into that a little bit if needed, two, email campaigns, and three, speaking opportunities at industry conferences. Those are the three channels where we get our story out 
and that we see the most conversions from. Okay, so um, or, happy or, to organic, take organic, your questions to dive in. Organic LinkedIn. I think I know what you you mean, I, um, but instead of guessing, sure, I, ha I have you, so you can actually uh, explain. Sure. So, so first of all, let's talk about why LinkedIn for Gong and then why organic. So why LinkedIn for Gong? Um, and again, this is something very specific. If, if I were selling to medical professionals or even IT professionals, I don't think LinkedIn would be our channel. Uh, luckily, we are selling to sales professionals. And it turns out that sales professionals actually live on LinkedIn. Um, in case you're not selling to sales professionals, and maybe you don't, don't know, but sales professionals live on LinkedIn because that's where they're looking for their next customer, for their next employee, and for their next job, and just to network and, and read content uh, by people like them for them. And so salespeople and sales leaders literally live on LinkedIn all day long. Uh, hey, I, I'm not in sales, but just working for Gong, uh, LinkedIn has become my number one preferred social channel. It's the one I spend most time on, you know, as I'm lying in bed uh, looking in the apps. It used to be Facebook. I now find myself spending even more time on LinkedIn. It's really where, where my network is, where, where I pick up interesting ideas for content and events and see what other companies are doing. And it's where our audience lives. So that's why LinkedIn. Um, why organic? So here's the thing. We've we've been doing um, quite a lot of paid advertising over the last three years, experimenting with many different motions and target, uh, target, uh, sorry, um, audience targeting, and different types of content. Everything from the lightweight uh, content marketing to the heavier commitment of come ask for a demo. And we found something very clear. 99% um, of our conversions come from our organic followers and only a tiny, tiny fraction come from the paid advertising. That's number one. And, and I'll, I'll say something else on that in just a minute. The second thing is we found um, that even campaigns that we did to try and get new followers, which might make sense if, if you're trying to grow your LinkedIn following uh, like we are, we found that even campaigns to get new followers um, 95% of the new followers came from people who were organically reading our stuff and we approached them either on LinkedIn or, or email, but only like less than 5% came from paid campaigns that we spent a lot of money on to get new followers. Our, our conclusion is that people don't want to be sold to, whether it's content or product, they want to buy something that's interesting and useful to them. So if you produce enough interesting content and get it in front of their faces, they will follow you. You know, if, if one of your friends liked a Gong article or post and you see that in your feed and you're like, hmm, this is actually interesting to me, LinkedIn shows you that big follow Gong to see more of these posts button and you can follow them. That is the way to get to them. It's not by shoving your ads in their faces because if they haven't been following you until now, they're not very likely to follow you because you shoved an ad in their face. And I know other networks like Facebook uh, are far more efficient at helping you buy new followers. LinkedIn is, is not a good place. At least it hasn't been for us uh, to do that. Interesting. So, uh, so when you talk about organic, it basically means that you're posting things through your LinkedIn page or through... Um, I, mean, I mean, like a LinkedIn page doesn't have a, a crazy amount of reach. And I think followers on LinkedIn is, is quite hard. Correct. So uh, th this is something we've done a lot of research on. And, and here are just a few of the insights that uh, we've, we've come to. Um, one is that we are performing a delicate balancing act between using the personal LinkedIn profiles of some of our internal thought leaders or influencers. That could be Chris from my team, my own profile, my CEO's profile, just to name a few, and the Gong official company page. Um, there are pros and cons to publishing things on, on either page. And there are some LinkedIn quirks that once you here, I'll, I'll give you a free tip that uh, I think if your if your listeners try today, they'll, they'll thank you for it. Uh, here's something that we find out. Um, if, if you share a video from your LinkedIn profile, um, if you sh if if another page posted the video, let's say your company page posted the video, and you use your personal profile to share that video, you'll be lucky to get like two or three likes on it. LinkedIn absolutely kills shared videos in the feed. They do not show them to anyone. They they think they're a duplication of content, and therefore not as useful as you might thought it was. And you will not get any traction on that. How do you multiply the viewership of your video? It sounds stupid, but it actually works. And, and we've done this several times, so I can tell you with, with great confidence it actually works. You take the same raw video and you post it to several of your profiles. So uh, I did this on Friday, just like 
three days ago, uh, we had a, a, some stupid shark video. If you haven't seen it, go to my LinkedIn. You'll see the shark video that we shot in the island of Hydra in, in Greece. Um, we shot it with a GoPro and I posted it within two minutes twice on LinkedIn. I posted it once to the Gong profile and I posted it in the second time to Udi's profile, to my personal profile. And both of those copies of the video, it's exactly same, the same video, but LinkedIn doesn't figure out that it's the same video. And it does give them a lot of visibility. And both of those uh, postings got a nice amount of, of, of tractions. I think I, I checked a few minutes ago. I think uh, my copy got uh, like 250 likes on the LinkedIn video, which is a pretty good number. And it got like 10,000 views. And the one on the Gong profile got about half of that. Okay. Um, now, what does that tell me? It tells me, A, if you have a video that you want to promote, don't promote it from just one profile and don't have the other profiles share the posting of the first profile, but actually duplicate that posting. That seems to be working a lot better right now. Now, maybe tomorrow LinkedIn will change the algorithm or fix the bug or whatever, but right now that's what's been working for us. Um, going back to the bigger question of, of uh, how we use um, LinkedIn uh, organic reach. Uh, so one thing I said is it, it does have to be a balance between using personal uh, influencer profiles and the company profile. And the reason is, and we've noticed this consistently, that uh, people don't like talking to brands or logos. People like talking to people. If you want to get someone to comment on something, you better post that under your name and not under some uh, company logo or, or team name. People will not comment to a brand usually. Like uh, they, they might sometimes when we do some uh, special giveaway or something and we ask people to comment, uh, they sometimes will comment. But if you want to maximize for engagement, you have to publish on your personal profile. And then there's ways of, of getting people to share that in, in a meaningful way. For example, if you, if you write a LinkedIn article, which is different from a LinkedIn post, okay? An article is the long form that LinkedIn supports. A post is just something you write in the feed. An article is like a full page article. Uh, you can get people to share that article and it will do well if it's an interesting uh, article, right? Uh, unlike videos, which I just explained. Uh, I've, I've got like dozens of these tidbits. I don't want to make this a LinkedIn tutorial, but but there's a lot that we learned uh, in, in our work. And what we've done is we were afraid to leave all of our businesses' followers on one or two personal profiles. I didn't want Chris and Amit to hog all of our followers because what happens if, if one of them moves on to somewhere else tomorrow, they go with their followers, right? So I wanted to make sure that we are transferring a lot of those followers to the Gong page. And so we, we've experimented with everything from email campaigns, asking people to follow our page to get more of the content that we've noticed they've been following or, or, uh, or viewing. And it's embedding that call to action to follow our Gong page, even in personal posts that we do, because I don't always post on my personal profile. So if you want to read more of these stories, you should follow Gong's profile. So there are subtle ways of doing it. And, and we've been doing it pretty successfully. Uh, last quarter in Q2, we increased our LinkedIn followers by 70%. That's 7-0, 70%. This quarter in Q3, uh, the goal for my content team is, again, to increase our following by 70%. So it is possible, and, and, and we've done it, and we're doing it. Uh, it's a matter of playing around to see what works for your business. And if you have people who can become thought leaders, let them lead with content. It's easier for them to get the engagement, but also have a strategy for shifting a lot of those followers to your company page so you don't lose them when that person leaves the company. That's very, very interesting. One of the things that we encounter over and over again, especially with B2B clients, is the fact that a lot of the time they don't want to build or they're very afraid to build like a personal LinkedIn brand uh, if they have like a marketer they're employing, they're very afraid of losing that person and they don't want to build them up. Uh, and it's, and a lot of B2B companies are afraid to build up the personas. Uh, so, and, and I agree with you that basically personal profiles work better mm -hmm. than pages. And I think that what's more interesting is that it's actually more and more true on every social media, uh, channel, like a person, an influencer let's say, like an in-house influencer uh, has better organic reach and more possibilities of, of engaging, increasing exposure, driving leads and building trust to your brand than just working through the official page. Absolutely. 
Uh, I like the concept of people hiring like rock stars and now figuring out that people can use them to use them for their marketing and to to promote the company, especially when we talk to companies that are talking about uh, trying to acquire new uh, developers or engineers and stuff like that, using these rock stars that they already got to are probably already getting attention of other developers out there. I think that just makes sense. It's actually really, really cool to see people doing it. Yeah, but... uh... I think that a lot, most of the time that person is still not a rock star when they join the staff. Uh, it's like there's a lot of the time that you have. Right, you have the you have the hires who are the you know the rock stars. You have the guys who are the team leaders, the people who come in that are at a higher level. Uh, yeah, but usually, uh, Udi, correct me if, if I'm wrong from your perspective. Usually, these people didn't took the time, didn't take the time to build up their LinkedIn profiles. Like they're not producing content on their own. No, they're not looking to be hired or anything like no, that. They, they, but I would say that they're on on Gik, like on all these different forums and stuff like that. They're probably there are some to do. I mean, you, you can either like, like most things, you can either buy or build this, right? There are rock stars in every industry, unless you're like creating a brand new industry. Um, most of us are not. If if you're in an industry like we're in the sales industry, there are a few rock stars out there um, that are creating content that have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of followers. You could either bring these people on board and get them to become the biggest uh, evangelist for, for your brand. Or like we did, you bring one that uh, you identify the potential in and you build them to become that person. I, I don't think you should be afraid to do that. And you know what? Right. Uh, many companies want that to be their CEO, but then they find that their CEO barely speaks a word in English or hates social media and they have to write all his posts for them and then just looks fake because it looks like some uh, marketing intern is writing the post for the CEO. That, that doesn't really work. So if, if you're lucky and your CEO or one of your co-founders happens to be an outgoing personality and can actually write a lot of the stuff himself or herself, great. If not, don't worry about that person not being the CEO. He doesn't even have to be a C-level. Our, our biggest star on LinkedIn, who was actually named one of the top 10 voices in sales on LinkedIn last year by LinkedIn, it was Chris Orla, who's a senior director of marketing. He's not a, a C-level exec. He's not the CEO, but he's got an amazing voice and he tells a beautiful story that people want to follow. And I hope that we give him enough reason to, to stay with us for as long as it's, it's mutually beneficial for both of us. And if at some point he moves on and takes his followers with us, with, with them, so, uh, so great. We enjoyed him for the time that we had him. We did what we can to shift a lot of his followers to not only follow him, but also follow Gong, which, as I said, we've been doing and, and growing nicely, that, that company page. Just don't be afraid of that. I mean, if, if we know for, for a fact that, your company page is not going to get the engagement and interaction that a person would. I, I just think it's it's not a great decision to to not allow a person to be your thought leader and insist on your company being that thought leader. I've I've seen very few company pages on LinkedIn that are inspiring or or that you want to follow and interact with. It, it's just not how it works. Right. I think uh, this is so not the common approach you hear about employees and giving them power. Um, I think you you have the right approach, but it's very very not common to hear that approach. It's like saying, "Hey, I have this person with me. He's rocking for me. He's doing like amazing work for us." But when it's time to go, it's time to go. Most of them are like, uh, most of them are too afraid you, of the time. You even take it further to oh, the yeah. billboards, right? Sorry, I'm, I'm just uh, these, specifically these billboards. I didn't I didn't get to see, but Roy was mentioning to me this because uh, I saw some of the other ones. But Roy was saying they actually featured employees on did. billboards. Uh, that, that's a great story. I, I, I'll tell it in one second. I'll just add before that. Um, last last week, I took my uh, my team to a long overdue lunch. My, my marketing team, uh, I took them to lunch here to celebrate some new members and some departing members and, and all of our recent achievements. And I tagged each and every one of them on LinkedIn. And uh, of course, added a few words of praise. And every time I do that, I get some private messages, either from internal people or, or external, or saying, "Udi, you know, you're like literally drawing a target on these people's heads right now, right? Because if you're showcasing your your rock stars, uh, everyone's going to want to hire them." I'm like, "Yeah, I completely understand that. I, I hope that I'm giving them enough reason to stay with me for as long as uh, it's useful." Um, but I also want to help them build their personal brand for their next job. I want them to help build Gong's marketing team's brand to make us a magnet for A-list talent like them who will want to work for this amazing talent that I've just showcased. And I also think it does good for the bigger Gong brand just by showing uh, what rock stars we have here at the company. So I think there is like 
definitely a big risk in showcasing your your rock stars and and that'll segue in one minute to the billboard story but i think there are so many pros in doing this for for helping their personal brands for helping your hiring on your team and for showcasing your entire brand that to me it's 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 a total winner to do it um but that's how i think about it um, so the, the the billboard campaign that was that was fun. Um, earlier this year, we uh, we celebrated uh, sort of in our in our go to market kickoff, uh, which is similar to what many companies call their sales kickoff. Only here we we made it about the broader go to market team. So we included marketing and customer success and support and SDR because we recognize that all of these teams have equal contribution to our go to market success. Um, so we did uh, that annual kickoff event and we decided to name and celebrate seven outstanding gongsters that uh, exhibited you know extraordinary achievements both at the individual level and also making us stronger as a team last year um, and we thought it would be fun to take that celebration beyond the 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 dinner that we did for the company which was an amazing event in and of itself uh, but how do we tell the world that these are the best players and make them feel really good about feel them really good about it and and get some other great effects out of it. So we we work with Atreo, our creative agency, and uh, we came up with a beautiful campaign where we bought 21 billboards uh, here in the city. And uh, they went live a couple of weeks after uh, we announced internally our outstanding gongsters. And each of those gongsters got uh, three or four billboards with his face plastered all over it. And uh, it had a personalized message like you rock, Devin, or you're a star, Noah, or, or whatever uh, that person's manager decided to write on that sign. And uh, it, all really it said is, is the title was employee of the year, say Noah Farber, and a, 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 whatever the employee name was with a small um, short message, and then the gong logo and URL at the bottom. That was it. And that ran for a couple of months and we got some amazing responses. Uh, I want to name a few of them because I think a lot of companies wouldn't think of a campaign like this. And it's important to know like the, the, the potential results that you could get. One thing is uh, those seven employees, you can bet on them staying here pretty much for life, right? Once yeah. your face is on like huge billboards in the freeway in San Francisco, uh, you're not going to leave this company anytime soon. We'd have to seriously fuck up for those people to leave. Number two the entire team here saw those people as an example now and saw the way that the company appreciated those employees. And they are going to work harder now to get that sort of appreciation next year and be on a team where the company appreciates its employees that way. So that is the second wonderful repercussion. And the third is from candidates. Uh, I interview like five to 10 people every week because we're growing like crazy. And since that campaign launched, every single employee that came, every single candidate that came in mentioned seeing one of those billboards. Now that I think most, if not all of them are already down, they, they still see them online and everyone still mentions them. Like what an amazing team that celebrates their, their top performers on billboards. I want to work for that team. And, and so whatever I spend on the billboards and you can bet on billboards not being cheap. Are you saying that they also come to the interview with some headshots? <laughs> Seriously. They, they all want to be on the billboards. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I've, I've been asked by several, like what, what will it take to get me on, on that billboard next year? I, I think the, the, the surrounding effects that we got from, from the actual employees celebrated to their current team members to future candidates who want to join us is absolutely outstanding and, and more than we had hoped for. So definitely something that I would encourage companies to find their way of celebrating their employees in, in the most public way possible and not, not being afraid of that. When you planned it out, uh, did you have a sequence in mind like saying, hey, like if we emphasize these seven people right now, we can leverage their story even further going deeper into like building them up on LinkedIn or Twitter? Or did you said, we're going to put on the billboards, we're going to have the, that employer's branding, uh, HR and uh, employer's motivation going up and that's it? It, it was more like the latter. It, it wasn't a very elaborate plan. Um, I will say one thing today, everything that we do sort of in the field, whether it's billboards or events, um, we turn almost every single one of them also into an online event or, or campaign. So uh, I, I actually don't know uh, how those billboards got viewed more, whether it was by passersby on the street or by people who saw us sharing those, the photos of those billboards on LinkedIn. Um, a lot of those things, you know, I do in the field, but I know that the online campaign is going to be the more meaningful one. Um, right. 
uh, a year ago when we launched our new branding, I, I bought out like 150 signs on the BART. BART is the is five lines of trains here in the Bay Area. Um, and, and I bought 150 signs to put in, in the BART trains. Now, if you're riding the BART, you would have seen those signs, but most of the world doesn't ride the BART. Uh, so we made sure to make an online campaign of taking some great photos of, of showing those signs in the BART and then posting them on LinkedIn and having employees share them. And that's how we got to thousands and thousands of viewers of those signs. So it's, right. it's really a way of, I think, expanding your investment in, in this uh, field media by also posting it online, which is basically free. Um, and and you, you can at least double the eyeballs that you get on that. So that's what we've been doing with pretty much any billboard or, or other uh, field event that we've been doing. Amazing. Um, so I think we're almost out of time. I want to... Um, you mentioned that... The, you mentioned that the LinkedIn Organic is working pretty well for you. You've mentioned... Um, you mentioned like email. conferences and yeah, so email. Talk about, give, give us like a little spiel. On how are you guys working with email? What are you doing that is working for you? Uh, what are the key, some key takeaways you have from sure. doing that? Sure. Let's try and summarize uh, my life with email. Uh, so I, I think email is still one of the top B2B marketing channels that is sometimes overlooked. Um, it, it's amazing for, for many reasons. Uh, one of them is that it has the nagging attribute of sitting in your inbox until you decide if you want to delete or open it. Unlike social media, where everything's pretty much gone after a few hours, inbox still is really like the mailbox at home. You have to sort through all that mail and decide you're going to open this or throw it away. Uh, so if, if you send it to the right person at the right time with the right subject line, they will open it. They will open it. Uh, and we're, we're seeing uh, open rates, anything from 30 to 70, 72% open rates on emails, depending on the subject line and the personalization. Uh, you mm -hmm. can absolutely still achieve that even in this crazy day and age that, that everyone's emails uh, are, are bombarded with lots of junk because people don't bother to take the time to, uh, to personalize and, and, and even timing matters so much. Um, here's one quick example. So you don't feel I'm, I'm not giving like practical tips. Uh, when we go to a show, let's say we went to a show called uh, unleash. Okay. And we want people to open up the follow-up email. We scan leads at the show or we collect the business cards, whatever you do. And we wanted to send them a piece of content after the show to continue the conversation with them. So we found that if we send a simple subject line, like, um, John, here's one more unleash gift for you mentioning uh, the conference name and not mentioning our brand name because that person probably met with 20 or 50 different vendors at the show. I don't care if he remembers Gong, but he does remember being at Unleash yesterday. If I send that email first thing on the next business day after the show, that can get 70% or more open rate. I, I, literally, I've gotten these crazy open rates. And the reason is that most vendors that collected your leads at the show, they're going to need like a week to get the leads into their CRM. And some of the people after the show are traveling and visiting their grandma in Florida. And the leads are still waiting to be uploaded into the system where they haven't even thought about the follow-up campaign they're going to send. So, so one tip that we always do is we plan the follow-up campaign before we go out to every show and have that set up in your email automation system to go out the next business day after the show. And all the, need, all the leads need to be uploaded, deduplicated, and cleaned up on the last night of the show so that campaign is ready to go out next morning. If you do that, then you're going to beat all the other vendors wow. that are trying to hit your uh, client list. And if you have that personalized piece of content ready, they're going to read it. They have nothing else better, better to do, right? So I think maybe we'll end with that tip. Yeah, I think. I, yeah, wow. I, I think that a lot of what you're saying is basically doing a lot of uh, the marketing how tos, but doing them really accurate and right, and uh, with a lot, a lot, a lot of insights that you can only get from trying things and knowing what's working for you. I think a lot of people are trying to get I, like these. I want to add to that, Roy. Yeah. Uh, let me let me add to that something because I, I my the, my perspective here is that. We take for granted right now, or a lot of companies take for granted, uh, marketing automation, and we turn around and, and lean on it too much in the sense of, oh, we figure, okay, if I can bombard people with 50 different things, I'll find the right one and we'll just move forward. But what it seems like, and this is just the, the, the common denominator throughout all the things that you've said throughout the podcast, is that the more you give it human thought and empathy and actually take the time to think about what you're doing – the more effective the tools that you're using for automated marketing. Exactly. Will be. I mean, just 
just that's this, what it sounds just, like. That's where that's where everything seems to just, just this morning I, I posted a cute cartoon on uh, on LinkedIn from um from the marketoonist. He's a great guy you should follow if you're not. And his, his cartoon basically shows a marketing team meeting where the the, the CMO uh, is showing some chart and he's saying, uh, we found that our marketing is ineffective and annoying to our potential customers. And then one of his team members raises her hand and says, with the right software, we could annoy them more effectively. That's right. So <laughs> that's really how about how a lot of teams I feel yeah. are thinking about marketing automation. It's, it's not magical. It will not solve any of your business problems. If you don't know what you right. should be doing, it's just going to let you make those mistakes faster and, and more of them. There, there's no substitute to really understanding your customers, what do they want, and then use automation to do that at scale. But but that's not going to solve the problem for you. I think this is a really good tip uh, to end with. Yeah, the, um, thank you so much. I think this is a really, really, yeah, I, th I think what I found most interesting is that by listening to you, I understand how many times uh, marketers kind of use the cookie cutter basically to say, okay, there's a strategy or tactic that is working, that is supposed to work. They just do whatever the textbook does, but they never actually add their own unique uh, personality, value, brand need, or company needs. And that's where basically they get a lot of stale content or they just uh, put out a lot of stuff that don't work but they do it in the form that should work. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I have, an e I have an email funnel. Fine. Is it a good one? I don't know. It's an email funnel. You get five emails by the end of the month. And you're like, yeah, but like, is it, is it done right? Never mind. It's an email funnel. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. And, 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 and that's why I think a lot of people say like content marketing doesn't work. SEO doesn't work. Email doesn't work. Is because they just basically read an article. They tried to mimic whatever they wrote. And they, they do not immerse themselves into the tactic or the strategy. And that's where they usually fail. That, that's a fair summary. Woody, thank right. you so um, much. Woody, thanks so much for being with us. I feel like we can do a whole other hour. Thanks for having uh, me. And thanks for having me. This was fun. Um, uh, if, if anyone wants to get in touch, I, I, I try to answer everyone. I, I probably don't always succeed, but I'm, I'm the only Udi Lettergore on LinkedIn, so you can easily find me there. See, we didn't get we didn't get a chance to discuss my last name, so maybe right. next time. The only, yeah. the only one out there. This is going to be a bonus episode. I'm the only one out there, so you can easily find me there. And of course, uh, to check out some of that amazing content marketing we discussed, you can find it all on uh, gong.io slash blog. Perfect. Uh, you can also see the links to Gong at the show notes. Um, Udi, thank you so much for joining us. This was a real, real pleasure. My Thanks absolute so pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. You just finished another episode of Strike Gold with Jonathan Count and Roy Pavarczyk. And if you're a marketer, you know what comes up next. Subscribe to the podcast, leave a comment, share with a colleague, share with a spouse, share with your grandma. Um, check out the show notes yeah the show notes are great on season 2 right we've boosted it to another level yeah it's more than show notes it's a love note to our podcast uh, interviewees and don't forget we love you love you a lot